Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Homebrew All-Stars, where we pick the brains of 25 of the world's most interesting brewers and bring you their tips, tricks, and secrets. Now, between the two of us, we have nearly 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. On today's episode, well, it's time for a change. Change, change, change. To every season a turn. So far, we've done 62 episodes of the main show and 32 episodes of The Brew Files, which means that we are now at a whopping 94 shows. If you had told us a few years ago we'd be even this close to 100, I don't think we would have believed you. So here's the thing is, you know that after that many shows and the kind of the same format that, well, we kind of felt like it's time for a little bit of a change. Yeah, we're bored. And who knows? Maybe you are, too. So it's time for us to change. What are we changing to? Well, we're changing to the Everything Crafted show. It's no longer just brewing. It's all things crafty here on the show. A little bit of everything. How to grow the best garden, brew the coffee, craft a fine brew, make a glorious meal, and even the best sources of water, and so many more things. So why don't you sit back and get ready to get crafty. And here comes a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pico Brew, makers of the Zymatic and Pico Brewing Systems. The brewing systems of the future are here now. Discover how easy and rewarding it is to make great beer with Pico Brew. And by Craftmeister and BTF Iota 4. When you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. And by... The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 46,000 beer lovers. Since 1978, the AHA and its members have worked to promote and celebrate the homebrewing hobby and community. Join today for six issues of Zymergy Magazine, AHA member discounts on beer, food, and brewing supplies, access to exclusive events and competitions, and a bunch of other cool stuff that'll take too long to list here. Head over to homebrewersassociation.org or experimentalbrew.com and get yourself a membership. And by you, our listeners, go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. Well, we're back and we are ready to get crafty. But before we do that, we have a couple announcements. First one is that there's a new episode of The Brew Files out, episode number 32, which is Historical German Brewing, part one. Drew talks to Andreas Krenmar about historic German beer styles that just aren't being brewed much anymore. Yeah, and that's part one of a two-part episode because there was just so much information, it couldn't just be one thing. So look forward to episode 33, where we'll cover that too. Now, don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can click the Amazon HA or BYO links on the website 
and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... It is Habitat for Humanity, a great organization that helps people build their own homes and move into them. I just can't say enough good things about these people. Uh, there's a, even a beer connection because uh, President Jimmy Carter, who signed the home brewing law, uh, is a big supporter of Habitat for Humanity. And there's a personal connection for me because my mom built houses for them, too. So please... Help out everybody and uh, give a couple bucks, whatever you can afford, and we'll pass it on to Habitat for Humanity. There you go. All right, now one thing that's not changing on the show, as we're changing a lot of things around, is, well, we need your feedback. And we have some feedback from the last episode. So you know what time it is? It's time for Feedback! And our first piece of feedback comes from user JJK0211 uh, on the website, who says regarding the glitter beer uh, phenomenon that we talked about last time i hadn't heard of this glitter beer nonsense but quickly thought that if people started occasionally submitting one of these to a contest without making any mention of the ingredient it might be the equivalent of rick rolling a bjcp judge (laughs) i love it i love it i would have to be deeply deeply amused if that happened to me so i I would love to see somebody pull that one off just make sure you warn people so that they can get some video footage and also (laughs) on the glitter beer phenomenon jim moody wrote in to say I've never heard of this, so now I have to try the glitter. I have a couple of names to call my future beer. Boogie Nights, Saturday Night Fever, Disco IPA. What would you name a glitter beer, Denny? I would call it disgusting. Ta. All right, and then finally we have one last piece of feedback. Yeah, and this last one comes from Jay Wilding, who got a hold of us on Facebook, about uh, the difference in American and British water theories. Jay says, just a thought on the discussion about U.S. and British mineral additions. Could it be that regardless of the style, you guys tend to brew bigger with more hops, thus requiring less minerals? The British low-gravity, lightly hopped beers likely need more minerals to give them bite. Yeah, maybe, you know? And I, I think that uh, that theory only takes into account one type of American beer, you know? And maybe even only one type of British beer. Uh, so, I don't know. What do you think, man? I don't know. I would agree that the general assertion that American beers tend to be more hot uh, forward, but I, I think it just really comes down to sort of a preference type thing. I mean, if you're brewing with a lot of these waters that are already very carbonate or very uh, sulfate, you know, it may just be that's the character that people come to expect. And here in the U.S., we don't tend to have those those waters that way. So, you know, I think if your native water is already somewhere in that area, it's probably going to be a character you expect to see in a lot of things. It could just be one of those cultural difference things where, uh, you know, some people are more used to things tasting one way, and so they keep them tasting that way. Yep. I don't know, man. I don't know either, but you know what? We're what? just talking about water. It's a perfect time to segue into our new area. Because remember, this is the Everything Crafted Show, and we're going to start the Everything Crafted Show in the well. In the well? Ooh, I hope we can get out. I got a ladder. We'll be fine. Okay. Sounds great. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will be in or at the well. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. 
when I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my wort to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. So if you listen carefully, you might be able to hear a drip, drip, drip. Because as we know, life everywhere starts with water. Water is the most fundamental aspect of our lives. It is one of the most important things that we can ever think about. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about brewing, washing your clothes, just something for drinking or something you cook your pasta in. Water is life. And so here we are at the well. And it's time to talk about, well, oddly enough, bespoke water. If you've been paying attention earlier this winter, you saw that we had a whole flurry of trend pieces, particularly in the New York Times, talking about the idea of raw water. Now, the idea of raw water is that unprocessed, untreated water, untouched by modern filtration, sanitation, or even fluoridation, and I'm looking at you, Portland, is healthier for you. And yeah, hey, Portland still doesn't have fluoridized water, do they? You know, as far as I know, they don't. Uh I, I grew up with it, and I think it's a great thing, but maybe that explains a lot of things about me. Maybe. But so bespoke water, this this idea of raw water has been taking you know real trend recently. You know, idea of like, you know, look, the more processing that you put into the ingredient, the less natural it is, you know, the worse it is for you because we're designed to, to have things very natural. Now, look, we're going to be perfectly frank here. The idea that that this is carrying on is your nice, clean, pure looking water is actually safe for you. Human history would pretty much point out the error in that way of thinking. There is a reason why. Can you say black plague, black plague, cholera? I mean, you know, look at, uh, what was it? Dr. Snow who figured out how cholera was spread by finding uh, dead bodies in, uh, in a well that people were drinking from. And so the idea that this natural water is healthier for you, well, is quite frankly, Bat poop crazy. Yeah. And that's pretty So you can't really tell huh? what's in your clean, uh, clear looking water. You can't tell if it's actually good for you at the time. But that's not going to stop us because, you know, we really feel that these people who are looking at the idea of unprocessed water, well, they're just, they're not thinking deeply enough. They're not actually processing the idea far enough. So, surely, if you're into the whole maker scene, as we assume that you are by listening to this program, well, you want to make your own water. And so, Denny, I know that you have you have just the perfect idea and the perfect recipe for how to make bespoke water. Yeah, right. You know, because actually, if you're going to brew the highest quality beer, you need the highest quality water. And just like you want to make your own beer, you want to make your own water, too. So we all know that water is made up of two things, oxygen and hydrogen. So the first thing you need to do is get your raw ingredients together. Now, you can find oxygen in quite a few places, but 
the best place is going to be at the top of a very tall mountain where the air is very, very pure. So you want to start off by climbing Mount Everest and get to the very top and take some empty sanitized jars with you. When you get there, open them up and capture some of that oxygen and bring it back with you. I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be a hard trip. You might die, but if you don't, it'll be worth it. So you've got your oxygen covered now. You're going to need some hydrogen. That's a little tougher to find. But if you live in like a big city like Los Angeles, like Drew does, there are hydrogen filling stations there where uh, you can get your hydrogen-powered uh, cars filled up. So go there and uh, get like a gallon or two of hydrogen also. So when you get home, you need to combine these things. And, and that's hard to do, but the really probably the best way to do it is going to be go get yourself an old paint shaker machine. Put your hydrogen and oxygen into a paint can, put that lid on tight, put it in the paint shaker and let it just shake the crap out of it for maybe half an hour or so. When you come back and you open up that paint can, instead of being empty, you're going to have a can full of the purest, most delicious water you have ever tasted in your See, life. See, I think that just sounds amazing. And I encourage all of our listeners to go give this a try. You know, the ingredients may be, well, they may be a little extreme, but isn't it worth it? Oh, sure. For, for, for the water like that. Now, on a more practical note, we know that not everybody's going to be able to do this. You know, these things are expensive and, you know, maybe just... Well, maybe they're there for the specialist, for those who are truly dedicated. But if you aren't truly dedicated, well, we have ways to fix things for you. Uh, to me, I think there's there's nothing wrong with actually going hiking into the woods and finding a clear mountain stream or finding a spring water, as you know, a nice natural spring as well, is acceptable, if not as good, uh, an alternative. So, you know, please... Although, you know, we do want you to get this sort of natural water experience, please make sure to boil it first so that you're safe. Because, well, we know you're going to lose some of the natural goodness, but that's more preferable than death. So, <laughs> yeah. Now, but for real, I will say that, you know, some of our friends, they do this very thing. I have friends who go hiking up in the Sierras every year, and they pull down water to actually go bring to brew a special soft beer with. And Denny, I think you have people who, who do the same sort of thing as well, right? Yeah, our, our friends Jonathan Netley and Mino Choi uh, go out to uh, a spring that's someplace near where they live in Milwaukee and collect water for brewing also. Now, if you do something like this, of course, you're not going to have any idea what the mineral content is. And so you either have to decide that you want to get that water analyzed and deal with all that or just not care and brew the beer and see what happens. And that's kind of what they do. Uh, that's not a bad idea at all. Remember, uh, analyzing your water actually destroys some of the natural purity of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does. One word of caution, though, on, on a little bit more serious note. Many people ask about using rainwater or melted snow to brew with. Don't do that. Those are not nearly as clean and clear as you think that they are. Avoid those. Either... Uh, Make your own water or go find some from a nice spring someplace. Okay. Well, and I think uh, on that note, we've, we've got our water here at the well. I think it's time we go use it someplace. How about we go to the kitchen? Let's do that. We're going to head over to the kitchen. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about some crafty food ideas. So stick around. YCH Hops is a grower-owned global hop company located in the Pacific Northwest. 
with a mission to connect family hop farms with the world's finest brewers. YCH Hops is thrilled about the release of their newest product, Cryo Hops, to both commercial and home brewers, providing intense hop flavor and aroma, reduced vegetal flavors, and increased yield. Visit YCHHops.com to find a homebrew retail store near you. Are you a fan of chocolate, but not of the mess that comes from using cacao nibs? Chalaka is your answer. A favorite of Tim Matthews at Oscar Blues, it contains only cacao and water. Chalaka is aseptically packaged, so you don't have to worry about any bugs coming along uninvited. Using only sustainably sourced cacao, every bottle of Chalaca you buy helps regrow the rainforests of Ecuador and Peru. Ask for Chalaca wherever Brewcraft USA products are sold. So it's no big surprise if you like good beer and you like crafting things. Well, the kitchen's a kind of a natural second home. I think it's probably the room that I spend the most time in my house. But Denny, you have a lesson for uh, those of us, you know, who like to spend time in the kitchen. Just, you know, what do you like to do now that you're in Oregon in your kitchen? <laughs> now, I've mentioned many times how I got into brewing because I was into cooking first. Watching Julia Child over 50 years ago got me into cooking and... Uh, that's really what kind of gave me the incentive to start brewing many years later. I grew up in, in Iowa, in the middle of the Midwest, where our diet consisted mainly of uh, beef and a lot of pork and sometimes some chicken thrown in for just a little bit of variety. Uh, my exposure to seafood was pretty much limited to uh, fish sticks and once a year when our local grocery store would uh, have lobsters flown in from Maine and my parents would get one of those. So when I moved to Oregon, it was a real revelation. When I first uh, saw my friends bringing home a whole fish to cook, I just didn't quite know what to think. Uh, I, I had done something a little bit like that in Iowa when my grandfather took me fishing in a farm pond and we caught some bluegills and brought them home. But I refused to look at him cleaning them, and after my grandmother cooked them, I refused to even eat them. So uh, dealing with a whole fish was uh, a really foreign concept for me. But slowly, I began to uh, to enjoy seafood, especially once I discovered one of uh, the Pacific Northwest's greatest things, Dungeness crab. Now, you may live places where there are other kinds of crab. You may live places where there are lobsters, stuff like that. But let me tell you, until you've had Dungeness crab, you have not had the finest seafood on earth. This stuff beats the crap out of lobster, everything. So here's a few of my favorite things to do with the seafood that I've discovered here in the Northwest and on the West Coast. First of all, sole meunier. This is the dish that got Julia Child interested in cooking when she was in France. Very simple dish. You get a sole filet. You lightly flour it. You saute it in butter. Take the fish out. Throw in a little bit more butter and some capers. Uh, a little bit of white wine if you're feeling really exotic. 
cook that down for a minute, pour it over the fish, and it is delicious and easy. Another sole dish that I really enjoy making is sole that's been stuffed with shrimp and scallops. Easy to do. Uh, chop up some little shrimp and some scallops, saute them a bit, saute some uh, veggies, like maybe some shallot or something like that. Mix it together with some sort of binder. I'd like, uh, you know, Ritz crackers or the Trader Joe equivalent of that. Uh, put it between a couple pieces of sole filet, stick it in the oven and uh, bake it for 20, 25 minutes. While you're doing that, just whip up a quick pan sauce with uh, some sautéed shallots and some cream. And boy, it is just going to be a delicious, delicious meal. It is rich, but intense, but inviting, you know. Uh, as rich as it is, you still want to keep eating it. Dungeness crab cakes have to be one of the most delicious things on earth. Again, easy to do, saute up some veggies, mix it with some Dungeness crab, an egg, uh, a touch of Old Bay seasoning in there will really set it off. And, uh, you know, a, a little bit of binder. I like to use panko, uh, but the idea is you want to use as little binder as possible so you can really get as much of that Dungeness crab flavor coming through as you possibly can. And the other thing that uh, I really like to do is something my wife discovered that uh, is a great dish, real easy. Shrimp and scallops in a vermouth uh, shallot cream sauce. Uh, you make some pasta, put that over your pasta. Holy cow, people, that is one of my favorite special occasion meals. And finally, the last one is a recipe I discovered on Julia Child's show uh, from Chef Dean Fear in Houston. It is called Shrimp Diablo. Shrimp with a uh, ginger, habanero, coriander seed sauce that is just, I mean, it's hot, but you cannot stop eating it. So uh, I'll get all these recipes together, put them up on the website so you can see them for yourselves. Try these dishes out. If you uh, live someplace you can get Dungeness crab, that's what you have to do. If you can't get Dungeness crab, take your chances with what you can get. Well, and I'll also say on the scallop front, one of the real keys is you want to get fresh scallops, not the frozen scallops, because those are always going to be better. I have a little farmer's market with a seafood stand, and they always have these incredible, you know, big, juicy, uh, in the business, they're called dry scallops. Right. Uh, dry scallops. And, man, even just taking a big pan, melting some butter in there and dropping those scallops in and letting them sear on each side for say about 30 seconds. And then hitting that pan with, you know, pulling the scallops, hitting that pan with some vermouth and some shallots and some herbs and mounting it with some more butter because it's French cooking. So more butter is good. Even doing that three of those scallops with that sauce on top is an amazing dinner. Right. Remember seafood is one of those things where you really want to pay for your quality. Right. And hopefully, hopefully you can get it. If you're in the middle of the country, then it may be a little bit more difficult for you. But Drew makes a good point about dry scallops. Uh, when you, if you look at scallops sitting in your fishmonger's uh, store, you see sometimes that they'll be sitting kind of like in some liquid. That is a uh, chemical that really, really alters the flavor of the scallops. And there is no way you can get it out. You can soak them in milk. That'll help a little bit. But really what you want to do is you want to look for dry scallops. 
Uh, sometimes the great big ones are called diver scallops because they actually go down and dive for them. Anyway, you know, for you guys who are living there in, uh, in Nebraska or Illinois and you don't have access to some of this stuff, I'm sorry. Make a trip to the coast and I'll cook for you. <laughs> I just now want to go to my farmer's market and get some scallops. Dang. Yeah, I know, man. Uh, All right. Well, hey, you know, while you're in the kitchen, I think I need to go take a trip to the bar and make a cocktail. I think that's a great idea, man. It's always better to uh, cook when you have a drink with you. Amen, buddy. All righty. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Drew at the bar. Why East would like to welcome everyone to the new year with our first release of private collection strains for 2018, inspired by the Pacific Northwest's ever-changing forecast of wintry mix. Why East's Burton IPA blend, West Coast IPA, and Rocky Mountain Lager strains will lend their profiles to an array of malt and bitterness balances, mid-to-low ester formation, and most important, drinkability, for styles as varied as the weather ahead. Why East has over 30 years of experience producing premium liquid yeast, so you can brew with the same quality, purity, and reliability as the professionals do. These strains will be available January through March at your local homebrew shop. For more information, visit whyyeastlab.com. stool my elbows leaning on the bar waiting for drew to make me a drink yeah and of course today yeah if i'm not drinking a beer i'm hardly having a glass of gin because gin is one of my true loves right on man i just remember spending summers with my grandparents and they would make gin and tonics every evening so gin and tonic is one of my favorite things so let's talk a little bit about gin because the world of gin is wide these days now to start with gin is a neutral grain spirit it's infused with multiple botanicals. The only one that absolutely has to be there is juniper. Uh, juniper is required by law. Otherwise, the sky's the limit. You'll see gins out there with lavender, coriander, angelica, sage, mint. I mean, just about anything. I've seen some with chilies. I've seen some that are barrel-aged. Now, the herbs and spices are usually either added from infusion into a neutral spirit, and those are called infused or compound gins, and they're kind of considered a little bit cheaper. The preferable way to do it is what they call via distillation infusion or distilled gin, where there's actually a steamed basket held in the middle of a column still that allows them to pass the ethanol through uh, as they're re-distilling the spirit. And that steam is actually what extracts the the flavor compounds from the, the botanicals. Now, lots of craft distilleries out there, you know, all these small little operations that are starting to pop up. They will actually start with grain neutral spirits. That's the literal term for it. grain neutral spirits, GNS, sourced from, say, a major industrial uh, industrial still, like somewhere in, say, in Indiana. And they'll truck that in, and then they'll actually redistill that on site. And the whole trick is start with something neutral, redistill, and use the redistillation to actually go and infuse the spirits. Now, historically, gin would have been much sweeter than what we are used to these days. So it used to be distilled with pot stills, and these days it's now uh, used with modern reflux column stills. But 
Jen also has a bad history, you know, lots of drunkenness, uh, questionable quality, uh, associations with things like Graves' disease, and particularly it's associated with dissolute behavior in the UK, and particularly amongst the poor, which is the reason why you got the classic Hogarth prints of uh, Gin Street, or sorry, Gin Lane and Beer Street, you know, showing the Gin Lane is a terrible place to be, and the Beer Street is all healthy because beer is healthy for you, and gin is bad. So, that's the history of gin, some of the basics of it. Let's get into the styles that are available these days. The original is called Geneva or Dutch gin, and you'll find one of the big ones is from Bowles, uh, B-O-L-S. And it, it is the source. It is originally, it was made from a malt wine, and there still is actually a portion of malt wine that is supposed to be in true Geneva. It is sweeter, and they use the herbs to actually cover up sort of the initial rough distillation. And so nowadays, uh, that one's really kind of cool. Get that one in the freezer. Get it ice cold, and it's served almost in straight shots like aquavit or vodka, and it gets a little syrupy and kind of really cool. Best glass of it I've ever had was I had one infused with hop shoots at Tahamelhof in Watu in Belgium after finishing a course of rabbit. Fantastic. Another one that's also rare but starting to come back is a gin called Old Tom. Uh, you can find that mostly from a distillery called Heyman's, and it's the halfway point between Geneva and what we now know today as London Dry Gin. It's slightly sweet, but also very herbal. London Dry Gin, that is the gin that rules the world. And it became possible when column stills actually came into play. And that's a little bit you know, later in like the 1800s, but they're drier. So you think your beef eaters, your tankerays. And closely related to that is a style that's only produced in Plymouth, England. That's oddly enough called Plymouth Gin. And that's actually, to my mind, that is slightly sweeter than the London Dry Gin, but it also has a really incredibly strong woodiness. And then lastly, the place where a lot of gin makers are going is what's called Modern New Wave Gin. No, it's not Thomas Dolby or the, the Thompson Twins. It's Modern New Wave Gin, and it's newer flavors developed for sort of the modern preference towards less strong juniper character. And so these gins have a de-emphasized level of juniper. It's still in there. It should still be a good base note. But now these are where a lot of these other flavors come in, like roses and cucumbers and lavender. And so the classics on these are, say, Hendrix, for instance, which is now commonly available. Uh, St. George's Terroir is famous for using a lot of sage, for instance. Now, this is where a lot of uh, sort of current uh, gin playing is happening. I highly encourage you to play around and get some of these. They're wonderful. They make really great martinis. Now, other gin terms to know. Gunpowder gin is a gin infused with gunpowder tea. You'll see gin being made with a lot of different things, including milk. Uh, Navy strength. Navy strength is a term for 114 overproof gin. So that means it's strong enough to still light gunpowder on boarded naval ship. Uh, in theory, it belongs to the category of like, oh, that's what they shipped away on the British Navy. And then also finally, there's slow gin, which is traditionally it was gin infused with slow berries. These days, it's more of a liqueur. So don't get confused with proper gin. Uh, but it is still actually used in a couple of cocktails. Now, speaking of cocktails, here are a couple of my favorite gin cocktails that I think everybody needs to know and everybody needs to have at least once. Uh, the Martini, a.k.a. the Martinez. Originally, it was Old Tom Gin and Sweet Vermouth, which was what was called the Martinez. Nowadays, the modern version uses drier and drier gins like London Dry Gin and Dry Vermouth. I particularly like to blend actually a new wave gin like Hendrix with something like uh, a Plymouth or London Dry to kind of get somewhere in between the two. And I like to use a really nice vermouth like Dolan Dry. Uh, I prefer to stir and then double strain because I do not like the level of dilution that you get from shaking nor the ice chips. The other classic gin cocktail that you need to know is the Negroni, 
originally called the Americana, which was a, a drink of sweet vermouth, Campari, which is a nice bitter, a little bit of orange bitters, and soda water. And then supposedly a guy who's the Comatet de Negroni asked for his soda water to be replaced with gin. And the classic cocktail was born, serve it over a big ice cube after stirring, and express a little orange peel into there for a wonderful fall and winter drink. And then you've heard us talk about on the main show before, the Pigu Club. Go look that one up, uh, thanks to Van Havig from Gigantic. I'm now a huge fan of that. It's a great cocktail. There are other ones out there, obviously the gin and tonic. you got to get good tonic water. I like either uh, one of the Fever Tree waters as a base, or Jack Rudy's syrup that you mix with some club soda, or Antonic syrup that you also mix with club soda. I prefer mine with both lime and bitters. A lot of people nowadays only seem to like lime in theirs. I like the bitters because I think it particularly adds a, an extra note to, to the gin. And for me, I like to use Scrappy's Classic Bitters. And then my celebration cocktail is, well, it's one of my favorites. It's called the French 75. There is a very classic gin cocktail called the Tom Collins, which is essentially gin, a little bit of sugar syrup, a little bit of lemon juice, and some sparkling soda water. Stir that together in a nice tall glass. Boom, Bob's your uncle, you get a drink. Well, the French 75 is a Tom Collins, but instead of soda water, substitute in champagne. And it's called a French 75 because it supposedly has the same level of kick as a World One Error 75mm French field gun. But, <laughs> That's great. Uh, and it's a perfect New Year's Eve cocktail if, you, uh, if you're bored of champagne. So there you guys go. What's going to be your poison today, Denny? You know, Drew, I'll take whatever you hand me because they all sound great. There we go. All right. On with the cocktails, and maybe we should go do some gardening. Let's do that, but let's take a quick break first, and we'll be back, and we'll be heading out to the garden. I don't know about you guys, but spring is nearly sprung, which means that the, the smell of fresh grass and fresh <sighs> and, and freshly turned over dirt, it's in the air. And that means it's time to get our hands plunged into, into Mother Earth's soil and see what we can cultivate. So, Denny, <laughs> what are we cultivating today? Well, here in the garden, we're not going to be uh, growing your usual garden supplies here in Oregon, we have been fortunate enough to uh, have marijuana legalized. So uh, in, if you're in one of those situations, here are some tips for your garden. Number one, find a good place with well-drained soil. Uh, dig it up. Um, amend it. Uh, I like long-release uh natural fish fertilizers, stuff like that, stuff that uh, will be in there for a long time. So get a lot of compost and some fertilizer into the holes. Pick your plants carefully. Most of the places around here will sell uh, plants that you can start yourself. They're generally made by cloning uh, other plants so that uh, you don't have to worry about genetic variations and stuff like that. Uh, get those plants in as soon as the rain stops and the soil is a bit dry uh, around here. That's usually going to be sometime, hopefully in May, but sometimes a little bit later. Wait, I was going to say the rain ever stops in Oregon? 
<laughs> Once in a while it does, and it really starts up again in earnest in October. So you have a pretty short growing season there, so you uh, you need to take advantage of it and get them in. Keep them well watered. Uh, you uh, Kind of like growing hops, you want the feet to be wet and the heads to be dry. So make sure that they get plenty of water, especially if you're living in some place that's hot. Uh, it's not unusual f- to take a, a gallon of water per day per plant during our hottest weather here, if it's like a, up around 100 or over. Uh, you can you can do a lot of things as they grow. You can keep fertilizing them. You can keep trimming them. I prefer to grow kind of the same way as I brew, with the least effort possible and see what you get out of it. So I let them go until around the end of August. And at that point, I put some sort of cover over them because the rains may be starting up. You don't want them to be moldy. And, uh, you know, the, the cover over the top will really help prevent water from getting directly onto them. When they're done, uh, I generally like to hang them to dry. I don't like to use a, a dryer on them like I do with my hops. And you need to get the moisture content just right. You want them dry enough so that they don't mold over the course of the next year, but you don't want them so dry that they become brittle and lose all of the, the wonderful flavor that you've worked so hard to get into them. And finally, once you get everything all done, you need to head back out to your little garden patch there and have a smoke while you're telling what's left of your plants, how much you appreciate all the work that they did that year. It sounds like to me it's a perfect idea is to come out with a with something to smoke and a nice gin cocktail to drink. Ooh, now see, I could I could do that. I could do that. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, that's what it's like here in Oregon. Maybe it's like that where you live too. And a lot of those gardening tips uh work even if you're not planting psychoactive gardens. Uh here in our garden we uh we cloche pretty much everything which gives us a really extended growing season. Uh, Here we are right now, it's the end of March, and we are still harvesting fresh lettuce from the garden because it's been growing under a cloche to protect it from the freezing weather, the snow, the rain, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I I guess the saying, I guess the idea is that no matter what kind of plants you're growing, be nice to them and they'll be nice to you. And next time in the garden, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, how you can do some things like, you know, steaks, you know, particularly bespoke steaks, you know, because why should just the produce be all that you care about when it's in the garden, when you can have show-stopping steaks to plant your plants on? Oh, plant your plants on. I thought you were talking about growing steaks in the garden. I was going, well, is that like the pasta tree? Exactly. Don't forget that it is almost pasta harvest season. Uh, make sure that you go and watch the great news special from BBC about you know, the great British uh, pasta harvest. You know, it's well worth it. That's right. Okay. Well, I guess that we've had enough of this foolishness for today, huh? Yeah, I think it's time to let our listeners go about their day. So, Denny, why don't you kick us out of here? All right. Thank you all for listening to Everything Crafted, the podcast. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on the homebrewing subreddit and on the Slack homebrew channel. You can usually find me hanging around the AHA discussion forum. 
If you want to ask us a question or suggest topics or recipes or experiments or even a new show, you can always email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com or you can get a hold of each one of us individually. I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And you can always leave us a voicemail at 626-765-1AL. So until next time, remember to always craft experimentally. Or craft wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Everything Crafted. Now, by the way, guys, if you haven't figured this out by now, we're playing with you. Uh, we'll be back with another episode of The Brew Files next week, and Experimental Brewing will resume its regular schedule uh, on time, as always. We just had to kind of do this because, well, April Fool's is here, and also Denny's going to be in New Zealand when we would normally be recording this, and we need to give him a little extra time because I don't think he can edit all the way down there under in New Zealand. Yeah, everything would come out upside down. Yeah. So, hey, guys, we hope actually that you did learn something in this show as much of a joke as it was, but really... Let us know how, what you thought and whether or not you appreciated the little break and the gin cocktail recipes and the fish. And please forgive us and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.